welcome to God is Just Like Jesus. Right now I'm working on book number two, which is Jesus' healthy compassion and his healthy fierceness and clean anger, and how those two things combine and produce an amazingly healthy person named Jesus that we can worship and emulate. As I'm writing book number two, I'm wrestling with why I wrote book number one, because sometimes people don't understand book number one and why did I put that out there. In our culture, we live in McDonald's. Like, hey, let's hit the drive-through. 60 seconds later, I want a burger. I want to be eating. And approaching God on a 60-second time frame is not what book one is about. And I'm not sure that even works. Book one was about wrestling who with who Jesus is and specifically when the disciples, those people that were saying yes to him as opposed to the Pharisees, the people who were saying no to him, when the people that say yes to Jesus, when they fail in sin, how does Jesus relate to them? Does he kick them to the curb? Does he reject them? Or does he do something different? If We found out amazing things about how Jesus encourages us, challenges us, instructs us, yes, even corrects us, but for our good and those people that were around. So book one was all about knowing Jesus. And you can't really do that in 60 seconds. So in our McDonald's culture, a lot of people don't like that. And in our televangelist culture where the TV preacher saying, hey, if you give money to me, God's going to give you thousands back, that we... We don't live in a culture figuring out how to manipulate God. That's not real spirituality. That's televangelist la-la land. And so book number one was not either of those two approaches. So I wanted to talk about why I wrote book one. And some years ago, I don't know, it's 10, 15 years ago, I wrote a list of the top 10 reasons why God is just like Jesus was so important. And I gave that to a ministry leader that this organization could use material, uh, the God is just like Jesus material, you know, in their studies and classes and some stuff. And item number one, you'll think this is a little strange, but item, sorry, item number seven was it protects you from cults. And that was kind of an unusual one to, to wrestle with. And then this week, I was reminded why that was so important. I was looking at a news article, and there was a Kenyan starvation cult where a cult leader told uh, supposed Christians, I don't know if they were or weren't, that if they starved for 40 days, they would meet Jesus. And a number of adults and their children, as sick as that sounds, they did this thing, and I don't know if it's a one dozen or two dozen died fasting under the influence of this cult leader. So I thought it was really important to talk about just some really simple things that could have protected these people. And I want to just make a little side comment here. So much of our American and maybe European culture, there's discrimination against um, true Christians. And, you know, we can have people throw things in our face all the time in terms of, oh, you know, this Christian cult, whatever. But I did some research and I tell you what. Buddhist and Hindu meditation camps and whatnot uh, it can, can lead into cult-like situations and full cults where the people are said, hey, you want to meet your guru, whatever, fly to India. And as I'm reading on the uh, internet and researching this stuff, they will be trapped in places where they can't leave and they're sexually abused and financially wrecked. 
And so don't just think it's Christian uh, arenas. This happens in all religions. And then I also researched secular cults and was reading on one called Nexum where um, people get brought into this cult and used sexually and financially, and there's no religious component at all. So just so you know, cult-like behaviors across all platforms, and some people talk about the cult-like aspects of Hollywood where Henry Weinstein and people like that abuse actors and actresses demanding sex or some kind of things to further their career, and that's a cult-like activity, and that's Hollywood in a lot of ways. And then, of course, there are political cults, and some uh, people reference the almost totalitarian control that President Xi has in, in China and people's like, they're just total yes men and women to serve him and how that takes on these levels of intense coercion and control. So there's a lot of different levels of cult and controlling um, people and leaders. But let me make one point. If these people in this Kenyan cult hadn't known the first things about Jesus, of course, they would have been protected from this. But let me give you an example. If they had known the first thing about how Jesus so deeply cares about the little children and how the parents were bringing babies and how he was holding them in his arms and blessing them. And get this, when the disciples come in to be controlling and run off the kids and the, the children, Jesus gets indignant with even disciples who start leaning into controlling kind of behaviors. And he says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, right? He starts disciplining them, their flesh, on the religious right side, right? Their self-righteousness, their judgment, and their control. Most of the time we think about the flesh as our liberal sins on the left, like, you know, partying and having sex with anybody who walks down the street, getting drunk, doing drugs, you know, just, just the liberal sins. But what about the right-wing, conservative, self-righteous sins and, the you know, some of the control things really fall on that side? Well, if they had known the first thing about how Jesus relates to the children and the parents, they would have never fallen for this cult. And get this, if they had understood how Jesus relates to Pharisees, right, not disciples, and I'm not going to talk about how he relates to people, how he related to the controlling, coercive Pharisees. Jesus resisted them, right? They were not really taking in his message. They were not responding like the disciples were. They weren't even listening like the people were. They were listening to destroy him. And as the re relationship, I mean, in the beginning, he talks to them. He tries to bring them to truth. They resist him more and more and more. And by the end, he critiques their whole mental and emotional thought life and their system they've created in the temple. And he goes to town and he critiques and reviews their thinking about money and taxes, their thoughts about authority, the resurrection life after death, what the first commandment was, loving God. And he attacks the whole temple system and drives out those buying and selling and ripping off the people, right? So if they had known the first thing about how Jesus dealt with controlling, coercive religious leaders, right? Because they were Israel's religious leaders in the day, they would have known, the Kenyans would have known, this is another example of Phariseeism trying to attack the church. And no, we're not doing it. We're not, I mean, we're going to protect our kids from it. We're going to hand this guy all over to the authorities. He should go to prison for life, right?
So, but they didn't know how Jesus related to, to, to kids or to these kind of leaders. So, the point I want to just make, and there's really only one point in this whole little video podcast, the knowing the kind of person is Jesus is by looking at his relationships is the key to get this, interpreting what Jesus says. So often we listen to what Jesus says on its own, disconnected from his character, and that gets everybody into real trouble. And that's how cult leaders can, can use Jesus' words to abuse other people. So this is what the God is just like Jesus material is all about. It's all about looking at who Jesus is and the kind of person he is so we can understand. So one, so we can worship him, and two, we can understand and interpret what he's saying in a healthy way, not in a radicalized liberal way, not in a uh, dysfunctional controlling right wing way, but in interpreting Jesus as he's meant to be in a healthy way. And this is what the Bible says in John 17, 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true, they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He didn't, the Bible doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, hey, they're they going to know about you. He goes, no, they're going to know you, right? He didn't say, hey, well, I want to know some abstract theological statements about you. He says, they need to know you. And then Jeremiah 9.23 says the same thing in the Old Testament, if you want to look that up. If, and let me give you a couple more examples. From book one, remember, Thomas doubted, right? He doubted Jesus even rose from the dead. Did Jesus kick him aside or say, hey, somehow you have to sacrifice to be accept accepted by me? You got to go fast 40 days? No. He confronts Thomas on his unbelief. He challenges him. He goes, put your fingers here in my wrist. Put your finger in my side. Believe. Don't doubt. Yes, he challenges Thomas, but he doesn't control course or cast him aside for failure. Peter sank on the water. Did he cast him away? No. He says, Peter, keep your eyes on me. Why did you doubt? You didn't have to. You go the whole distance next time. The disciples, they sinned arrogantly, arguing about who's the greatest three and four different times, even up until Jesus' last day before he was killed. Jesus never controls them. He never he never shames them or condemns them. He does challenge them. He does say, I want you to be great. It's really important how you go about it. Serve. Do not become controlling leaders like the Pharisees. Serve. Serve the least and the last. You will be the greatest. And even James and John, here's an example of, unfortunately, getting controlling. James and John, when they're going into the Samaritan village, Jesus wants some a bed for the night, bed for his followers, some food, sleep. And they reject him and say, no. You got to walk to another village. James and John, they're so angry about it. They, they're, they want to call down a lightning bolt and kill the whole village. Talk about controlling coercive behavior that's really uncommon with the Pharisees. And Jesus gets in her face. Jesus gets in their face and he says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. He says, I didn't come to destroy men's life, I came to save them. And so he confronts controlling leaders. And you know, in that place, we need to really love his clean anger, his fierceness, because that's what's needed to deal with these kinds of sins, right? The liberal sins we do a little bit differently, but the right-wing controlling sins, 
we need to oh thank god for jesus is in his intensity to uh to change things so let's reflect on the kenyan starvation cult the more moderate cults like the mormons jehovah's witnesses and then the third group is even christian churches with controlling leaders <clears throat> in all three groups if jesus had known if the people had known both who jesus is and jesus's words in the context of his character they would have never been vulnerable to these abuses these cult leaders they would have never died if they had just known what jesus is like he never demands sacrifice to be accepted that's the devil acceptance by god is by grace through faith that's ephesians 2 6 and that's for salvation and that's for life with him it's never by earning salvation is not by earning and growing in goodness is not by earning it's by partnering with jesus in the grace of god through faith yes he wants our partnership but there is no earning there's no sacrifices to be accepted by him and that's what god is just like jesus is all about